Welcome to Tenant Men. Welcome to Tenant Men. I'm your host, Steve, and I am joined by my co-host, Kevin, and together we are going to complete a methodical review of the Christopher Nolan's 2020 epic high-concept time travel film, Tenet. Uh, we do that by doing a minute-by-minute analysis of the film, conducting our own temporal pincer movement. I'm on Team Red, moving forward through the films. Uh, this is episode three, so now I am up to uh, the time, three minutes, 21 seconds into the film, and Kevin is on Team Blue going backwards through the film. Kevin, where are you starting from today? Uh, The blue team is starting at 2 hours, 21 minutes, and 21 seconds, and moving to 2 hours, 22 minutes, 21 seconds. Lots of of twos in there. (laughs) Is that intentional? Did Christopher Nolan always (laughs) intend intend for that? We have enough to dig into. (laughs) I bet... I wonder if we're going to learn about some wonky, uh, you know, time, time sinks at some point, right? I keep waiting for them. Uh, yeah. We might be getting to one. <laughs> we should also find like which section of the movie lines up with dark side of the moon at some point. Mm-hmm. Or uh, would he be, would he be a fan? Like what would, what, what's Christopher Nolan's? Musical taste. Uh, I think he lets uh, Hans Zimmer figure that out for him. Like a bare naked ladies kind of guy, or like, <laughs> when did he grow up? He kind of grew up in England. He kind of grew up in Chicago. Yeah, he's got he's got to be like eighties English rock. I guess or punk like or something. Punk? Yeah, maybe eighties like, yeah, yeah, eighties could... British punk. Hmm. I don't know any eighties British punk. But that's his generation. No, you're not supposed to know them because you know they never go mainstream. Once they go mainstream, they're not cool anymore. That's uh, then it's not punk. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a good point. Really good point. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, in the interest of time, shall we just jump into it? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's do it. So, like I said, I'll I'll go first. Red team. Red team. Yeah, I'm red team. Yes, red team. Red team. <laughs> starting at uh, two twenty one. Uh, so here is where we have those gas tanks rolling in. And I think we touched on this a little bit in the last one. But gas tanks uh, rolling in, our protagonist is is watching really carefully, like almost like confused or or surprised to see these things coming in. Uh, and then we see like the hose is going into into the air ducts, feeding into the into the HVAC system. Um, and in a matter of 10 seconds, we cut to the crowd and they start passing out. So this is... This is very, very fast, very effective way of knocking out uh, thousands of people. Um, yeah, I don't know if this gas exists, but I think it just it's it just exists in movie logic that there's a gas that exists that can make people innocently pass out this quickly. Also, also impressive, right? Like these people are passing out, but the terrorists don't pass out. They have enough time to put their gas masks on and be impervious to this uh invisible knockout gas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, in that logic, I guess they would have been briefed on this by their blue team. Yes, but then why don't they already have the masks on? Good point. I mean, <laughs> I think there are some that already have the masks on and some that don't, right? It's hard I, to explain. I, I, there, might I, be, 
multiple teams in there. It's hard. <laughs> I, I'm, at least in the movie, they make a point of showing us the terrorists putting their masks on as people start to pass out. Correct. Uh, and I know we talked a little bit last time that there are some plot holes in this movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna call this out as being one, right? Like the the terrorist had the masks on the whole time, right? That's I know they're making a point, right? Yeah. Oh, the terrorists came prepared to put their masks on. Maybe they had that forward knowledge, right? And that's why I think we see it. But let's be real, like if these people were passing out that fast, like so did the terrorists. <laughs> yes, I, I guess so. Um but they all do have masks on them, which implies that they were prepared for this. Um, right. This, this incident. I'm, I'm looking in the script because I believe there is an, a, a note in here, a stage note that one of the terrorists doesn't have a gas mask. So they put a piece of cloth, a, a, a scarf under a running faucet and wrap it around their face to improvise. Wow. I don't think we see that. No. I think that'd be too confusing. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It's like, is this guy waterboarding himself? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Yeah. That didn't, I don't remember that. I, I didn't take note of that. Um, all right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Here it is. A terrorist wets a rag in a drinking fountain, ties it around his nose and mouth. Others have workers, respirators, face masks, and they cock their weapons preparedly. Preparedly. Um, so we do see that there are terrorists with full gas masks that cover their eyes. Others have respirators that just cover their nose. Um, and this is just another element of it. And that kind of plays into my idea that there would be multiple red and blue teams with different levels of knowledge. Yeah. So that would imply that there was a team that went in that wasn't briefed by the blue team that didn't have gas masks, but then the, well, we're, uh, this is hard to explain. <laughs> we don't we don't see a blue team though in this scene. We, we don't, don't see anybody going backwards. You're right. Well, except except one person. Except one person. Okay, which we'll get to. Get you, we're going to get to that too. <laughs> we're going to get. To, we're actually not going to get to that in this minute though. So maybe. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah. You go ahead. Okay. Um, actually, just to read my note here before I move on to the next uh, next fun part, uh, I wrote if the. Crowd passes out so quickly. How do the terrorists have time to put a mask on? WTF? So that's <laughs> that was my comment when watching this this minute uh, for the show today. Um, okay, let's fast forward to to two minutes and forty two seconds, so twenty one seconds into this next minute. Uh, we are in our we're watching our VIP in the booth, watching things unfold. Uh, something gets thrown to a terrorist. Um, and then the VIP bodyguard takes out a gun from uh, his jacket pocket, right? So this guy, we don't know who he is, right? But he's important. That's why he's a VIP. And he's he has some sort of he's in some sort of military uniform, a, a dress uniform, not the, tactical uniform. His like bodyguard or his yeah, his his yeah. His, his his protector. Yeah. Uh, and he's got two of them. So yeah, this guy is this guy's <laughs> well protected. No one's gonna take out these two bodyguards. Um <laughs> Nine seconds later, we're at 2.51, 30 seconds into our minute. Uh, response team enters the opera hall, right? So they, they go through that that lifted gate uh, or the, the gate that dropped earlier on. Uh, this is when the protagonist and his like miniature squad, uh, they deviate, right? So they don't enter the main, the main opera hall. They start running around the hall. 
uh, and then they split, right? So two people on the squad go upstairs, the other two on the ground level continue going around uh, the venue on the, the ground floor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two upstairs actually split and they go in opposite directions and they start breaking down doors into these suites. Uh, and that's when at, at three minutes and 10 seconds in, our protagonist kicks down the door to our VIP suite. Uh, and in the, you know, very, there's a lot of like just badass moments for him throughout this film, right? Oh, yeah. Like, 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 totally, like completely confident. Like Jason Bourne type stuff, right? Yes. Uh, one of well, my. Well, this is a bit of a, this is Nolan's James Bond movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, for sure. <laughs> like, absolutely confident in any scenario. Yeah. Uh, that, that's our protagonist. So those two body cards that we thought would protect our VIP are just so very quickly disabled uh, by the protagonist. And then at 3.15, we get, we get first dialogue from him where he says, we live in a twilight world. Uh, and if you don't have subtitles on, you probably didn't catch it. No, uh, <laughs> he said the first, he repeats it. But he that's repeats, that's in your next minute. Four um, sec- no, no, four seconds later, 3.19, okay. two seconds left to go in this minute. He repeats himself. <laughs> We live in a twilight world, at which point uh, the VIP responds, uh, there are no friends at dusk. And uh, we, and that's the end. We, again, that is a great um, James Bond level of call and response. They use that in a couple yes. of James Bond movies. Yeah. Where they he meets like his guy on the street who's supposed to give him a ride to the Kremlin or whatever, or hit Q or whatever. No, I don't think he ever does it with Q, but he'll say something like, um, he'll go up to a vendor and be like, do you have any soft shell crab? And uh, they'll say, uh, like, not today, it's on Tuesday. And that's how they know that they're, they're contact and then they can start talking business. Um, that was a terrible example of that. But I think that's actually in a James Bond movie. Nice. <laughs> that he says something about soft shell crab. But this is a, a much cooler catchphrase. It is. Yeah, it's great. That's great. Uh, it's pretty, it's loaded actually, right? It's really, it's a loaded it's a, call the and response. Of friends, right? It's, we live in a twilight world. We live in a dying world, essentially. And right. there are no friends in the end. Right. That's the whole theme of the movie almost. <laughs> a little bit. Well, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the underlying plot, right? Yeah. If you compare that to Neil's voiceover that we talked about last episode where he's talking about it's the bomb that didn't go off that right. nobody cares about, but that's the thing that matters the most. Yeah. All right. That's, that's the end of my so, minute. So did you have, did you have any the, other questions? That's a that's good, the first, it's a good that's cliffhanger. That's the first time um, uh, we hear the protagonist talk in your minute too. <laughs> it, it, in the beginning of the movie, I don't think he talks anytime before this. No. Also, I think to to catch up on last week, we we talked about them sleeping in the van. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think of that? Uh, I'm not convinced the protagonist is sleeping. Y- yes, except for the dialogue that says "wake them up." Right, and then the guy, like the guy next to him, looks a little groggy, and you can't really. He see opens the other his eyes. The van. He he mm-hmm. might be waking yes. up, but like they also like they don't say anything to him to wake him up. They just mm-hmm. the camera just pans behind, and then like you know. Protagonist I, I is also, flipping a bullet, and <laughs> yeah, I rewatched that too to watch that. And I also saw that in the patch scene when they're tossing back the patches, he's they waited for the SWAT team to pull up, and when they saw the symbol on the on the van, 
that's when they tossed back the patches, which had the right. same symbol on them. Right. Um, it's just the, the levels of um, <laughs> a temporal pincer going on. Where right. This team didn't know what patches they were going to... They knew people were going to show up, but they didn't know what uniforms they were going to be in. So, Well, I don't think... Uh, Oh, oh! I see what you're saying. You you think the Ukrainian yeah. guys should have known? The protagonist mm-hmm. and his squad wouldn't have known. They don't know. They no. don't know what a temporal pincer movement is to begin with. They have right? no idea. Right. They're they're just foot soldiers. They're the they're the pawns in this game. Which okay. So all the people that split off from that group, we yeah. only ever saw one other guy's face in that. Is it possible Neil is somehow in that van too? No, I don't think so. Uh, huh. I don't think so. Okay. I don't. He's not part of. He would be going backwards at this point. He. He would be I mean, inverted. Probably, unless there's a turnstile. In... <laughs> uh, but there's not. I don't think. No. We'll uh, get he, to that. We'll get he's... to. Oh, he's not inverted. His gun's inverted. Never mind. Oh, is that what it is? No, he's inverted. Or we'll have to. We'll answer that question in, a, in an upcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we will. We will. <laughs> things, these are things we have to kind of parse out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are we ready for uh, my minute? Let's go, man. So where? What? Okay. Again, where? Where are you starting? We are starting at. Uh, we are in the tail. We are still in the tail end of the conversation between um, um, Ives has just walked off. So he's gone, but they were just having a conversation with Neil and the protagonist and the algorithm, which we have talked about the algorithm. But the uh, the the big moment in this minute starts off with the protagonist seeing um, what I describe and what the script described as the talesman, the piece of string hanging from Neil's backpack with what is... Now, how did you describe this when we were talking about this? A washer I, tied to a string. <laughs> a washer tied to a string. But I think it's, me, it's, a, it's a totem, though. A totem, to, yes. A totem, very Christopher Nolan. Yeah. His little, um, uh, little thing. So in, in the script, it's, it says, reveal, um, Neil swings on his backpack, revealing a talesman, a coin with a hole tied to a zip with orange and yellow thread. That is how it was described. And so it's a yeah. coin. I don't know if it being a coin has any more significance. And that's the protagonist realizing uh, who Neil is, um, which I, I think we only have ever see this thing one other time in the whole movie. Yes. Maybe two other times, because I think there's one other time we see it that we have to discuss eventually. Um, um, so I don't know if this has any greater significance with it being a coin. Um, but I, I'm surprised in my first watching of this that I knew what that was when I saw it <laughs> because so much time passes in the movie between seeing it the first time and seeing it this time. Hold on, actually on that. So like when you saw it the first time, you're right. It does show up one other time, right? Yeah. Um, but like you, you remembered that you saw the, that totem like yeah. in the beginning of the movie. That was the only thing I kind of remember. <laughs> like, I didn't even understand what they were saying to each other, besides that they're friends in the future, which took me a long time to really contemplate what that meant. But I did remember seeing that from the very beginning of the movie. So it's just interesting how that. Little... But you don't you don't remember it from the other time that we're not mentioning for some reason when he's like on the ground, like behind the locked door. That's oh, when that's when you see, see it. it. 
Okay, I think there's another time we see it then. Oh, really? We'll have to. Yeah, we'll have to go through it all. Because <laughs> that's like that's like when you see it at the very end in your minute right now, and then you're, you're like, right. you oh my god, like there. that's the dude that's that's dead behind the door, um, and that's how you know he's dead. That's right. He's going back and he's sacrificed. Like this is it. Like and he knows it. He, you know, it's not that's, explicitly okay, that's said. That's why it was prominent in my mind because that's kind of, that scene at the door is kind of like the primer for hey, remember that thing from the beginning? And then this is the moment where you're like, this is what that means. Yeah. Yes. So you're you're right. That's probably why it stuck out so much was because it wasn't just seeing it in the beginning and seeing it at the end. You were primed for it that this meant something at the end right. too. Right. I mean, there's a lot. There's Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into the dialogue of what they're going to say. So he's walking away and the protagonist says, Neil, wait. Neil says, we just saved the world. We can't leave anything to chance. Uh, Protagonist, but we can change things if we do it differently. Uh, Neil looks back. What's happened has happened, which is an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world not an excuse to do nothing. Which is maybe the philosophy of the movie. It is. It is actually. And there's other, there's other references to that. Yeah. And it's like the bomb that doesn't go off. It, it's a lot of, uh, of it's a, there's a philosophy to the world can be so confusing. Why are we doing, why are we making a podcast about this silly movie? Why are we doing anything? <laughs> well, it's, well, it's, it's also not like... an excuse to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like just a really good way of uh, like hammering out or like deflecting any of the potential like paradox inconsistencies here, right? Uh, because like they say a lot, like what's happened happens. Try not to think about it, right? Um, <laughs> Don't think about it. Just go. <laughs> yeah, like just, yeah, exactly. Um, which is, but like I actually kind of like the duality of this. Uh, I think it's a pretty good like thematic part of the movie, right? Cause mm-hmm. there are so many paradoxes with like things like time travel. Right. And if you yeah. do overthink it, like you actually end up nowhere, you just kind of go in circles. So like the fact that they kind of like, they call it out and they're just like, what's happens happens. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't think about it. It's, it's true. I think I like that. It, it's, but it's also so confusing because what's happened has happened, but also we still kind of have to do it. <laughs> like we, even though you know you're going to do something right and it's and it's and that's based on like instinct and i think that's like the other yeah. part yeah what it gets to later on when they're describing inverted inversion and right. also just the whole point of the movie being somebody could dismiss this whole movie going well everything that happened at the end had already happened by the beginning so what's the point of watching it I, yeah i don't know <laughs> maybe and this dialogue is an excuse for that exactly um, yeah, and they go on to dissect it a little bit more. The protagonist says, fate? Neil says, call it what you want. What do you call it? The protagonist asks. Reality. Now let me go. And, uh, the protagonist walks away, tears welling up, and calls out, hey, you never did tell me who recruited you. Neil says, haven't you, haven't you guessed by now? You did. Just not when you thought. You have a future in the past, years ago for me, years from now for you. Protagonist says, you've known me for years, and then that's the end of my minute, and my last minute started with the the iconic line. Uh, for me, I think this is the end of a beautiful friendship. So, 
and that also gets to the point of how what's the timeline here how long these people actually knew each other it just says years ago for you years from now for me we talked about that last week too right because like at some point he's like we're all you're only halfway there right so and the movie is takes place over like maybe a month but then yeah now now some new uh some new knowledge here Actually, another theme of this movie is like knowledge divided. And the fact that you're going backwards is like just the greatest uh, example of knowledge divided. Because last week we talked about yes. like, <laughs> like, oh, so like the day, have they known each other for two months then? But now, now that you're in the previous minute, it's like, no, years, years ago, right? Years um, ago. And then I thought about that. Think about that. Like he says, you know, uh, years ago for me, years from now for you, right? Um like how far back in time does the protagonist go in the future <laughs> to meet Neil? And that's the other thing is that like time almost becomes incalculable because if you think about when these guys met in Dubai or whatever, when they actually meet in the timeline of the movie, then they're going forward in time for a period of time. Yeah. Um, eventually they turn around, they start traveling back. Then for a period, they're going forward. Then for a period, they're going back again. Right. So even though we said a month, they live that month maybe three times. They live parts of it, I think. Parts but of yeah. it, but, but you could, your expectancy becomes, your, your <laughs> time becomes unlinear at that point where you're living in loops. So, I mean, how you can even calculate years from now may not even be a full linear calendar year. That. I don't know. <laughs> right? I, don't, I, mean... I, I don't know. All, all I know, like if he says, you know, years from now for you, that means at some point the protagonist is going to spend like a two years in a shipping container or something, right? Yeah. Like just going backwards <laughs> so that he can catch up. But then you also made the point like, like for this to come like full circle, I think you said it last week, like yeah. if the protagonist does go back, you know, it'd spend a couple of years in a shipping container to go back in time to meet Neil and set all this stuff up. Like that would mean there's another him going through all of this right now, but maybe there's not because maybe he dies in the past. Yes. Well, <laughs> and, and that gets to, well, we haven't really gotten to Neil. Well, we kind of did get to Neil dying because Neil is going to die right now. He's traveling yes. back to go back to die in his future. The protagonist pasts. Yes. Um, which is only in, a, in this context, only in a matter of minutes. a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, but there, there's also, so another YouTube theory I've been playing around with is this idea of Neil existing in this infinite loop mm. that Neil dies in the context of the movie. But at that moment, there are multiple Neils running around in the timeline in that yes. moment. He's dead. There is a Neil that is pulling them up by the truck. There's a Neil at the opera house there's a Neil uh, in a shipping container going back to the, op you know, it's, there's all these different Neils around. And in the moment you die, you know, who knows what happens when we die? Another <laughs> moment of philosophy. <laughs> Does your consciousness get absorbed by one of those other Neils? In I don't think so. The soup, in the cosmic soup? I don't think so. Uh, and um. you just, but, and, oh, but here's my theory that it could, because in the context of this film, Let's say the Neil who's on the shipping container, who's going back to the opera house, understands what's going to happen. He knows he has to go back and pick that lock, but he took a little break to go to the opera house and save his protagonist. No, it's a totally different 
totally it could be a totally different deal. It's a totally but, different deal. But if that Neil did know that, would he change anything? Uh, from, I think he's, from, he says you can't think of it that way. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't have the prior knowledge because this Neil does have the prior knowledge of his entire existence. That's going back to die by the door. I don't think he, he knows. still goes through with he, it. He doesn't know that. He, like, I mean, like, I think like he knows, but he doesn't know how he's going to die by going by going back down there. It's going to happen to him down there. But he just knows that he has to go down there and pick the lock. That's all he knows. He has to that's... go down there. There seems to be a fatalism to his mentality. He seems to know he's walking. He's saying, he says in my minute, you have to let me go. Right. Which is. Right. And, and he obviously knows why the protagonist is saying, hey, why don't we try doing things differently? Right. So he's, I think he knows that he's going to his death. He does. I think he does too. Yeah. But he also knows he needs to go do that because someone let them in. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that ties into my, my theory, which is that the protagonist dies at some point in the future, saving Neil. Neil travels back in time to do this. And that way, Neil has this idea of the most tenant thing, the most palindrome thing ever. The protagonist dies for Neil sometime in the future, which is not part of this movie, but part of my movie in my head. Neil dies in the past, saving the protagonist. Right. I mean, so that's just my my theory. And actually, the and the infinite Neil theory is a whole other Reddit thread you can go find. <laughs> <laughs> I like for that reason alone, I'd love to see a sequel of actually like meeting in the past, but in the future. Well, the protagonist's future, but it actually it's actually the yeah. past. It's actually <laughs> right. He's, Again, he uh, spends. I'm telling you, like he's he's gonna go on a shipping. He's gonna sit in the container for like two years. He's gonna be doing sit ups in a windmill, <laughs> right? For years, for years. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's gonna be the loneliest existence ever. Which is why is he dies. Terrible. Like, which is why he dies in the past. Like, the guy is just like obviously gone insane by then. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you have to go insane a little bit? Yeah. Uh, if you stop and think about it, y- yeah. Ooh. Just keep moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know we talked a lot about the Talesman. We'll talk about that probably in the future again. Uh, one thing we need to talk about in the in the future or in upcoming minutes is why the algorithm looks like that. <laughs> That's another like <laughs> just re- a ridiculous thing, right? Um, and like. Yeah, because it never would, right? And I think they, they talk about it at some point. It's like this algorithm, but in a physical form, right? Um, yeah, like no, no, <laughs> they're, like, they're both holding it in this in this scene. Like or it's a, the protagonist it's, is holding it, and it just looks ridiculous. It, it looks totally right. Like in reality, it's like, and they wanted it in nine pieces, right? Okay, so maybe it's like nine USB thumb drives and a hub where you put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't have to be these ridiculous looking things, but I mean, that's, that's just for, for the cinematic yeah. effect. Right. So I don't think we should spend a lot of time overthinking that. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause it does look cool. <laughs> right? I just remember seeing it for the first time going, wait, that's it. <laughs> it it looks cool. It looks like, yeah, that's, that's, that's complex and, and kind of cool. I think that's, that's all it is. I don't think we can yeah. overthink that. <laughs> Okay. Any any other questions to wrap up? A philosophy heavy uh, conversation here towards the end. Yeah, I think we need to. I'd like to. Well, I need to think more about the uh, 
the Twilight World comment, but it comes up more and more in the movie, so we can we can always yeah. digest it some more and contemplate it some more later. Yeah, because by the way, you should really change up these calls and responses, particularly in an environment where people are traveling. The enemy is constantly traveling back in time. <laughs> right, that's a really good point. Right, yeah, like your code can't can't always work. Uh, well, it, and there's a point in the movie where our antagonist uses it on mm-hmm. on the protagonist. Yeah, and so that's that's pretty telling right there. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I can't wait to get to that minute. That's like. Well, technically, they're all working for the same organization. Are they? Yeah. No. There's no enemy. There's kind of an enemy. Who? Uh, let's table that. I wanna <laughs> yeah, know. we'll take a minute on that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's on another that problem with the way this movie's constructed is there's when you th- when you sit and think about it, everything's already happened, and everybody was all working for the same ends. Um. Let's, but uh, we're gonna, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna get we'll to that. Get to it. We're gonna get to that really soon, actually. In one of you, because okay. that's when like the real plot really unfolds, mm-hmm. right? When when Seder's on that radio. So okay, yeah. On that note, thank you all for listening to Ten of Men. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, please take a moment to follow, rate, review this on whatever platform you found this on. Uh, be assured, we will continue this temporal pincer movement uh, next week. We'll see you at the beginning. I'll see you at the beginning, friends.